All right, Trinity Church, good morning to you. Great to see you. Great to see you guys watching online. Hope you're able to enjoy and engage us today outdoors somewhere like this crew. It is such a beautiful day. Where else in the country can you join in 80-degree weather and you're not moving snow out of the way in the middle of January? So can we thank the Lord just for a gorgeous day? I'm so grateful. Knowing how we are meeting outdoors, it makes a beautiful day all the more. Thank you, Jesus. We have a great group on the lawn today. I want to say welcome to the knoll on the backside. Can you hear me okay? Awesome. And we even have a biker gang joining us today. Rather than riding Harleys, they're riding Schwinn's. But it's great to see you guys too. What a good day to get together today in this third Sunday of this brand new year. We're grateful that you're with us. If you have a Bible today, we're going to continue in a new series called Beckon. If you want to make your way to John chapter 1, if you have our app, you can open that up. And under resources, you'll find sermon notes. And just go to today's date and that will get you kind of locked in as well so you can track with us enter in uh, some of the blanks and just have a way to stay on track. Also help you with your home group notes when you discuss those of you in home groups that are meeting right now. But I'm so grateful to be with you. My name's Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity. One of the things I appreciate when Greg was talking about this Sanctity of Life weekend, you have to know that the reason why we make such a big deal about it is because God makes a big deal about it. We read from the very beginning in the first book of the Bible that all humanity, every single person is made imago Dei in the image of God. And as image bearers, we all have this innate value and this worth in God's view and how we are to be able to value that in each other as well. So we do that for the unborn with our partnership with the San Bernardino uh, Family and Pregnancy Center. We do that no matter, God has value for all, related to even those with disabilities, obviously. Our Light and Power group really is a great way that we express that. And even on this Martin Luther King weekend, when we think about that every single person, no matter what the color of their skin, has great value to God, it's another great reminder that this weekend is really important. So my prayer is that you would take to heart throughout this next week God's incredible value of all people and really see them through the lens that he created them to be. Well, we're diving in this series called Beckon. The word Beckon is that idea of a mute signal, calling someone to you without even having to use words. It's the word that we actually get the same word beacon from. It's the original uh, same root word. And what we're looking at in the first few chapters of the book of John are all of these personal conversations that Jesus is having with individuals or small groups. And in that, he's consistently beckoning them, inviting them to come close to know him and the Father. Today, we see that in spades as we actually see four different invitations, four introductions, and four invitations to follow as Jesus' first disciples are drawing near and coming close. So I'm excited to look at this passage with you today. In your notes or on the screen is our now what statement. Introduce people from your relational world to Jesus and let him persuade them to follow. That wonderful tension is what we're going to live in today. Number one in your notes, for people who are seeking, 
you get the joy of directing them to Jesus. For people who are seeking, you get the joy of directing them to Jesus. We're in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. I really appreciate the great job that Hilke did last week in the passage just previous to this. It was just this focus on these four different concepts of who Jesus is. And we follow that up today with one of those that John mentioned in that earlier passage, that idea of the Lamb of God. That's one of the ways that he identifies Jesus last week. And then again, as he does that with these two disciples that he's um, encouraging and that was his role, was to make straight, to direct people towards this coming Messiah. I want you to note the detail that John uses in this first couple of chapters of his gospel. He says, the next day. So we're going to see that kind of attention throughout the rest of this chapter and into chapter 2. And I want you to see the description of the individuals that we're talking about. What are, who are these two people? It says, two of his, two of John's disciples. Now, that's an incredibly spiritually significant posture. John the baptizer had come into the world to begin to prepare the way, to begin to tell people Messiah is coming. He's this close. And in doing that, he had attracted followers, not only those who had come out to be baptized, but those actually who wanted to be around him. This was a group of spiritually sensitive, spiritual seekers. The, the greatest amount of revelation that God had given up into that point was John the baptizer. And these two were those who kind of clumped around him and wanted to know, what are you talking about? Who are you pointing the way towards? And what's so beautiful in this passage is that when John points out Jesus, they quickly release from him and attached to Jesus. And that was totally the whole point of what John's ministry was. And we'll see that again, beautifully said in this gospel of John. Now we see this phrase and Jesus has these two trailing after him. And as you read it in our English language, it could be kind of like, what do you want? You know, you guys are pestering me. What are you doing in my shadow back here? But it really wasn't said that way at all. What it was, was a beautiful question that Jesus is going to ask numerous times, said a little bit differently, but to multiple people, because he's asking intent. He's not ever going to assume, look in your notes, Jesus never assumes what people want. He asks them so that they can express it themselves. I found that to be so just encouraging as I read the Gospel of John, when Jesus is going to ask these questions, and so he asks a very basic question, what are you guys following me for? What are you looking for? What are you after? What do you want? I don't need to assume that I know. I'm going to let you say it. And what a beautiful way for us to even kind of mirror that in our relationships as we interact with people to not assume. I've, man, I've learned the hard way about assuming where people are at on different issues or in their walk with the Lord. So I just ask them basic questions. That's what Jesus is doing. 
and they acknowledge Jesus's unique spiritual leadership role. They call him rabbi. And notice that John, the gospel writer for us non-Jewish people, he even translates that word for us. That means teacher. They've acknowledged something about Jesus. And at that time, we don't know that Jesus has ever taught a thing. There's nothing in the gospel of John that indicates that he even has said a word but they recognize this unique posture that Jesus has. And for the first time, we see Jesus articulate what is really the essence of this theme that we're looking at in these first five chapters of John. Come and you will see. We see his beckon. We see his invitation. Come and you will see. Come spend time with me and find out if I am indeed what you're looking for. And the great news is Jesus already knows the answer. He knows what they're going to discover, and they're about to. You've probably had the privilege of coming across people either in your relational world or or maybe in a different set of circumstances who were very much seeking after God. They had maybe tried a lot of other different religious pursuits, or maybe they were just at the end of their rope. But either way, they were so hungry and they were so interested. And you had this incredible privilege of, it's almost what we talk about, low-hanging fruit. It's people who are just so ready and ripe to respond to the gospel. All you had to do was simply make the introduction. I remember a friend of mine, uh, when I was a pastor up in the desert, came into my office with his wife. His wife had put her faith in Christ. And she said, I brought my husband here and he wants what I have. And he just asked me, he said, Pastor Todd, I just need to know how to have Jesus in my life too. Okay, let's do that right now. And those kind of spiritually sensitive seeking people, when they come across our path, we get this sense that it's not a question of if they're going to put their faith in Christ, but simply when. And that's so exciting when those opportunities come our way. Number two in your notes New followers, new followers often need little encouragement to introduce their family members to Jesus. New followers often need little encouragement to introduce their family members to Jesus. Let's read on John 1 verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So the identity of one of these first two disciples of John that graft onto Jesus, that want to spend time with him and get to know him, the identity is revealed as Andrew, a fisherman, Okay. This fisherman, as he hears and spends the day with Jesus, this, the next day, the next response, the first thing he did was to grab his brother Simon and want to introduce him to Jesus as well. Now, the identity of the second disciple of John isn't given, just Andrew is. But what we're going to see all throughout John's gospel is he's going to reference himself, John the apostle, but never use him, his own name. So it's very, very likely, knowing we'll read in Matthew 4, that Andrew and Simon and James and John all come from the same town, there's good reason to think that these, this was actually who that other uh, disciple of John was, none other than John the Apostle. And we'll obviously see more of his story throughout this text. 
But what I really want to draw your attention to, the first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother, Simon. I've had so many encouraging conversations where this narrative has been repeated time and time again. Somebody realizes the incredible magnitude of the gospel, realizes this is what I have been looking for, and with no need for encouragement, with no need for motivation, goes to the people that are in that innermost circle of their relational world, their family, the people that they have been living under the same roof of, the people they love deeply, they have this familial love for them and they wanna go and they wanna share and they want them to know this great news that they themselves have come to know. And so often as they do that, it's just like the story a minute ago of this husband and wife is that they quickly realize in their new converted family member, something's different. Something's changed about them, and I'm curious, I want to know more. And that's kind of this thing. And what I've realized, too, I've heard many other accounts of people who were brand new to the faith, and, and in realizing what they needed in Jesus, instead of coming and just simply loving their family and in, wanting to introduce them to Jesus, they go right for the punch of, I've got to intellectually convince you, which turns into debating and arguing. I got to convince you and argue you way into the, your way into the kingdom. And what happens so often is that goes so south. Because really what those family members need, what is this incredible uh, testimony Yes, they'll need information, but what they're looking at first is the love of God, something that has not only been something you've received, but something that you're willing to give. Has that love transformed you and is it demonstrating itself in our relationship or are you just trying to beat me over the head with this new thing you've come across? Who knows? You've come across a lot of things. Who knows how long this one's gonna stick and is that gonna work? And what that person often finds out, that wasn't the method. That wasn't helpful. Instead, what I need to do is show them the transformative change Jesus is making in my life. Be prepared to answer any question they may have, but be a person who's loving them and showing them and introducing them to this great news of Jesus. I love uh, Andrew's words. Not only did he find Simon, but he said, we found him. We found him. I don't know when the last time was that you were desperate looking for something. It wasn't to the magnitude of a savior maybe, but it was something really important. I think about in our family, I'm the one who constantly loses receipts. I am not good at this. And so I know when I go and I'll lose a receipt, I really, really quickly want to find it for two big reasons. Number one, I want to help just kind of minimize the frustration level of my wife, which is appropriate. This is not the first time this has happened. But the other reason I want to tell her once I find it is because she was looking for it too. We don't have to look any further. We found it, and this is a good thing. We don't need to search any longer. You've heard this illustration before, but think of it related to family members. Think of it related to people. You saw this ladder out here and you were wondering, what is this doing out here? Think about it as a family member, someone who leaned the ladder of their life against a building, a, a theoretical building. Maybe it was a career. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was power. Maybe it was popularity, whatever it is. And as they have climbed to the top of this ladder, they get to a point and they realize that their ladder has been leaning upon the wrong building the whole time. 
The great news is that as a family member who has put their faith in Christ, we get to go to another family member and say, hey, I know you're searching. That's not the question. But what you've been looking for has been elusive. Let me tell you where it can be found. Let me tell you this great news of who Jesus is. And then you can realize that your ladder's been upon the wrong building the whole time. When, and see this hymn that Andrew's talking about with Simon. John translates the phrase Messiah for us so we would know it's that term Christ. It's one of the terms that Hilke used last week talking about the anointed one, the one we've all been waiting for, the one that God has a unique role for. And then what I love is the coolest thing is in this interchange between Jesus and Simon. I want you to appreciate this. Look what he says. He says, you are and you will be. You are Simon, son of John. You will be Cephas. I think that's the beautiful thing of Jesus announcing that there's been a change and how great that is in each and every one of our lives where we have responded to the gospel. Jesus saw exactly where we were, but he also is telling us who we will become. From lonely to loved, from sorrow to joy, from empty to satisfied, from orphan to son or daughter, from lost to found. Look in your notes. Jesus has been changing people's names all along, and he's wanting to change the names of the people in your relational world too. As they search, as they keep putting ladders upon the wrong buildings, show them who you found in Jesus. And I love, I got this from one of the commentaries I've been using in this series from D.A. Carson. Look at the emphasis he puts on this exchange. Here in John 1, however, the focus is much less on what this name change means for Peter. We're going to see that later on in the gospel record. But initially in John 1, the emphasis isn't so much what does this mean for Peter than on Jesus who knows people thoroughly and not only sees into them, but also, but so calls them that he makes them what he calls them to be. That's a little bit of some twisting language, but it basically says this, Jesus sees all of the potential in you that you can't even see for yourself. And he's calling that out to you. That's what I love about Carson's quote. He sees in Peter, he's just meeting him, but he's God. And he sees in Peter, not just who he is in that moment, but who Peter is destined to be. And he reminds him, Peter, I know who you are, but I'm also in charge of where you're going. And watch this, I'm going to be the one who helps you become that. That's the beauty, and I wanna keep reinforcing that at Trinity Church, that we keep being mindful this life that God calls us to, even this emulation of Jesus that we would be his followers is never something we can just do because we're trying so hard. We only do it because of his empowerment of us by his spirit that lives in us, that brings change and transformation so that our want to's become his. I had some great conversations a couple of weeks ago with some of our staff members two different teams that I am a part of had conversations two weeks ago tomorrow. 
And it was really great in the conversations. We just talked about the tension that is really challenging for us sometimes. Challenging for us because we, we kind of understand, as we begin to understand more and more our role, our role of being the people of Jesus' influence in our relational world, that the tension becomes that we can slip over the edge and become, have a, uh, take on a sense of responsibility, moving past the role of being someone who directs people, introduces them to this great Jesus, to those who are somehow responsible for people putting their faith in him. Let me tell you, that is an unrealistic and unbiblical expectation. We've said it just recently, only God can raise the dead. Only God can draw people to him. And that's what we're seeing in this passage today. We'll see it in spades by the time we're done, is that Jesus is the one who woos people to himself. We are simply the ones who make the introductions. And when you can live in that tension our role in evangelism is simply making introductions. Jesus is responsible for wooing the people in your world to himself. And so sometimes we can just become overwhelmed to the point, I don't even want to talk to people because now I'm on the hook that they would come to a place of putting their faith in Jesus. That is not your job. Think of it through this lens. Think of the teacher. Think of the doctor. Think of the coach. All people who live in roles who are helping give information, who are helping people understand a better way to live. The information that a teacher or a doctor or a coach is giving uh, a student or a patient or an athlete is helpful information. They will be better. They will live better lives if they'll pay attention. But what every teacher, what every doctor, what every coach has to realize at some point, I am only responsible to a certain degree. I cannot make this person respond to the information I'm giving them. Like the old adage, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And every teacher, every doctor, every coach has had to come to that point, that inner just kind of turmoil of saying, I've got to release this. Every student isn't ready or even able to learn in that moment. Many patients just want to keep walking in the bad habits they've been living in, no matter what a doctor says. Can I get a doctor to say amen? There you go. Dan, I heard you. Every coach who is helping an athlete become better in their position and better for the team, can't get that athlete necessary to comply because they think they know better and are not teachable. At every point, we have to release the responsibility from the simple role that we have to be people of influence, to be people who are putting that out there but not responsible for the results. And man, if that could be any kind of encouragement to you, because that is so beautifully demonstrated in this text today. And I want to show you today, I want you to enjoy, I want you to be encouraged by a beautiful example of two men at Trinity Church who really understand this idea that my job is to simply make introductions and love people and let Jesus do the rest. Take a look at this video of Frank and Alfredo. So I grew up in the city of Ontario, you know, locally, you know, around the area, there was a lot of drug um, and gang influence, which, um, you know, was part of, you know, growing up. That took me to being, um, doing some county time in, in county jail. And 
that's where I met Alfredo's brother. And he had knowledge of, of, of Christ and, and he was a believer. And he said that he was led by the Holy Spirit to come talk to me. I know he led me in, in what we call the sinner's prayer. Um, I remember him saying, hey, if you're ready, if you want to you know, change, he thought, here's a couple numbers. And one of the numbers was um, Pastor Alfredo's. Before I met Frank, I was uh, attending another church in Riverside. I was helping there or assisting the church as an, as an usher. And then uh, I was working uh, in an employment agency. They're the ones that started talking to me about Jesus. So they're the ones that invited me to a church. So I kind of wanted to do the same. And I told him what was going on. I met his brother in, in jail and he said he would pick me up um, and, go, and go to church if I wanted to. I took him to the church that I was attending in Riverside. And um, that kind of started building up our relationship. When he started picking us up, <clears throat> I didn't, I would, it, it was scary, you know, going into something, you know, I don't know who Jesus was. I don't know I don't, that, that prayer I, I, I said, I didn't know what I, what I was getting into, you know. So, but I wanted to change. You know, my, my heart was telling me it's time to change. Um, and like a lot of us um, tend to do, we go out to eat after church with other, you know, other families. Um, that's what that's what he he did. You know, he included me and my family with his brothers and sisters in Christ from from the other church um, that they were attending. And you know that that made made us feel welcomed. I need to feel like I belong, like I'm accepted. And, and you know, he did that, you know, through, you know, the love of Christ. I have seen a great change in, in the life of Frank. Uh, he is, he's been involved, always willing to help, always willing to do something for other people. He's always there. If there's anything that Fuente or the ministry needs, he's the first one. Uh, willing to, to help, to assist, to volunteer. So as far as now, um, you know, I look at my life back then and I was, I like to say I was down for everything. You know, when you're living a life of sin, you're, you're, you know, you're willing to do whatever, you know, just to feed that, that flesh, you know. So I made a pact with with God saying that same effort I put into the world, I want to put into my walk with Christ. So as I started to learn, I started um, knowing, feeling the love, you know, that Fredo gave me and my family. Um, scripture teaches, you know, that's how you're going to know us, you know, who will be my disciples by the love for one another. Um, I just want to be able to give back. I might not make a difference in anybody's life, but I, you know, I just want to show that love that I was, I was given with nothing in return, and that's what I want to give back. So now I try to plug myself in, you know, where there, wherever there's opportunity. I, I try to, um, while I'm here, I, I serve at Fuente de Vida as a usher. I'd like to, I love to greet my my brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, I've been to many trips um, down to Mexico for the love house builds. Met a lot of you know good brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, you know, able to build those relationships with them. And also now you know, I volunteer at the Micah House and just you know show them that love. I mean, nothing more than showing what Christ did in me. You know, I want to give that back.
I love that. Isn't that great? What I want you to appreciate, you may know Pastor Alfredo from our Fuente de Vida community, but you need to remember that was all before Alfredo was ever a pastor. He's just one of us. Just a Christian who, and hearing Alfredo's story, we had to cut part of it out. Alfredo was the first one in his family to come across the gospel at that temp agency he talked about and just went and shared with everyone in his family. One of his brothers who was in prison when he heard that message of the good news, put his faith in Jesus and he's the one who originally prayed with Frank. And what did he tell Frank? As soon as you get out, go meet my brother Alfredo, he's gonna help you. This is the beauty of just that idea of going, God, I just want to be a person that you could use. Where I heard this story first is uh, Micah House back in the fall was doing that kind of handoff bag of school supplies. And I don't think I'd ever stopped and talked to Frank before. And Frank is on the board of Micah House. And the things that God is doing in and through his life of just someone who says, in the same way that Alfredo loved me without any expectations in return, is the same way I want to love others. Finally today, number three in your notes, Jesus is who impresses people to follow him. Jesus is who impresses people to follow him. John 1:43. the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Here are the final two invitations that we see today. And we just simply see these words, finding Philip. Now, what's interesting about the previous invitations, introductions, was John the baptizer saying to his disciples, there he goes with the intent, you want to go talk to him. And, and then we see Simon, or Andrew running to find his brother. The very first thing is to go tell Simon. But Philip is interesting. We don't read of any person telling Philip to follow Jesus. We just read of Jesus finding Philip. I love that story. Because you know, that's the way it happens sometimes. It happens in these profound ways when people are seeking, sometimes all they need is to come in contact with the Savior. And sometimes that's not even through a relational lens. We know that he was from the same town of Andrew and Simon and might've been also a fellow fisherman. But the reality is, is all we see in the text is that Jesus found Philip. I love that. And you know, at Trinity Church, we make much about the idea of talking about how evangelism happens best, most efficiently, most effectively through the lens of relationships, through us just simply being people of Jesus' influence in our worlds. But I never want to convey that's the only way God works, because it's not. God uses all kinds of means. 
God uses crusades and rallies to bring people to him. God uses just putting a Bible in someone's hand who is ready to read it, a flyer put on the door. God uses Christian radio and television, all kinds of ways that aren't necessarily through a human connect. But I want to say this, look in your notes, engaging the 8 to 15 people that God has supernaturally and strategically placed in your relational world is not the only way that people will be reached with the good news of God's love. It's just the most effective. It's not the only way, but it's the way that we keep seeing time and time again how God brings this great news of the gospel from one person to another. And we're committed as a church leadership team of elders and staff to help Trinity churches continue to grow in what we have identified as our mission statement three years ago, that we're simply a people rooted in Jesus, reaching our worlds. That's why this church exists, and that's what we're up to, to continue to grow that in all of us. It doesn't appear to be a very long time, though, between when Philip was found to when Philip wants to go find, and he finds a friend named Nathaniel, and he tells him that the prophesied Messiah has come, his Jesus from Nazareth. And Philip just kind of does this, what? From Nazareth? What, what kind of possibly, what good thing could ever come from there? And, and believe it or not, without you having to think, you have places in your mind, cities and geographical locations, you'd say the same thing. Can anything good come from? Fill in the blank. I won't say a blank because it's where some of you probably live and I don't want anyone to feel bad today. But you get the point is that we had this idea of looking down at others. But I love, love Philip's response. Come and see. Come and see for yourself. Look in your notes. When you encounter skeptical people, do what Philip did. Invite them to come and see for themselves. That's a great response. Hey, you know what? I don't have to win an argument with you. My response doesn't need to be printing up 35 pages from the internet that support my cause. My response doesn't have to be argument. My response is I don't even have to be sad that my feelings get hurt because they reject me. They're a skeptic. Instead, just invite them to come and see. To come and see who Jesus is and let him be the one who does the convincing. He's really good at that. I was thinking about people like C.S. Lewis, Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel, all started out as incredible skeptics, trying to actually, with effort, disprove the gospel and what, who Jesus was. But all of them, in that journey of disproving him, came to put their faith in him. They became convinced of who he is and have been great advocates for this great news of the gospel ever since. When Nathaniel was approaching Jesus, there begins to be some subtle wordplay, some innuendo that's going on between Jesus and Nathaniel that I wanna make sure you catch. It goes back to a passage all the way back in Genesis 28. Listen to this, it says, when Jacob, when he, when Jacob reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said to Jacob, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. 
I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. The descend your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. Watch this. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back into this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now that passage is really important from Genesis 28. Number one, because it's another utterance of Yahweh saying to another descendant of Abraham, I'm going to do what I told your grandfather Abraham I would do. Give you this land, give you descendants you couldn't count and you out of your line, all people on earth will be blessed. Genesis 28 is profound in and of itself, but now watch some of the innuendo. The minute that Nathaniel's walking his way, what does Jesus say? Here's an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Jacob, a supreme deceiver. His name means deceiver. So already Jesus is contrasting the character who's being talked to in Genesis 28 with the, the one who's coming towards him. <clears throat> and as they begin to have this conversation, it takes very little for Nathaniel to be blown away about the incredible knowledge that Jesus had of the situation that he was somewhere reading. Obviously reading the Torah, reading the law, and Jesus saw him in that place. He's blown away by that. And Jesus says, oh, greater things are to come. You're going to see a whole lot more than that. And look at what he references. He references that you are going to see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. You are going to see the fulfillment of what I said to Jacob generations ago, because I am the latter. I am the way that people are going to be made right with God and have an opportunity to be with him. Jesus takes on that personification, not just of what Nathaniel was reading, but tells Nathaniel, I'm the fulfillment of what I told Jacob hundreds of years ago. That should put a smile on your face because you're realizing, God, you are up to something so different, so unique, so powerful that it really was going to do what it's done in your life and mine. It's going to change everything. I want to finish today by sharing with you real briefly a, a chart that's in your notes, and it's going to be on the screen. But I want to tell you how I came to this is that in our staff meeting, we have had staff lunch the last few months. And in our November meeting, we got together and we've been going through our core values together at staff lunch. And the core value we were talking about was this idea that your calling is to influence people with Jesus. And, and so as we were talking about that, rather than kind of saying, uh, we need to do this, we just kind of talked about who did this for you. And I had our whole staff stand at different points. And it was like what this graph is today. Look at what the chart says. These are the ways that people came close, that they drew near to Jesus in the passage we looked at. First off today, we saw Andrew and the other disciple reading across. Who made that introduction? John the baptizer. And what did he do? He just simply identified Jesus for who he was. 
What, who called Andrew to follow him? Jesus. Jesus did that. And how did he do that? He simply invited him to spend the day with him. Okay. And I was thinking about that. And in our staff culture that day, I asked how many of you came to Christ because of an influential person, maybe someone even that you looked up to like a, a teacher or a coach, or just someone that you just had this uh, relationship with, you thought the world of them. And a certain group of our staff stood that day. And if I asked that question to you today, a certain number of you would do the same. Look at the next tier, Simon, Simon Peter, who made that introduction? Andrew, his brother. How did he do that? He simply brought him to Jesus. Who compelled Simon Peter follow, to follow? Jesus did. That was Jesus's job. And how did he do that? He saw in him who he was and who he would become. Then think of Philip. Oh, by the way, and on that, we just talked about how many of our staff had family members that were instrumental in them coming to Christ, whether it be a parent or a sibling. And again, another group stood then we look at Philip, and Philip is fascinating. There was no one that we read about who was instrumental. It was Jesus who compelled Philip to follow, but Jesus himself, finding Philip. And what did he do? He simply invited him to start following him. You know what was fascinating at our staff lunch? I asked the question, does anyone have that kind of a testimony on our staff that it really wasn't primarily through a human agent, it's just the way that God reached out to you? And it was interesting, one of our most relational people on our staff, Jared Mantagna, Jared stood up and he said, you know what? I was just really searching and hungry and I found a Bible and God did the rest. That happens. It happened with Philip, it happened with Jared. And then lastly, Nathaniel, who made that introduction, but Philip. And what did he do? He invited him to simply come and see. Who was the one who compelled Nathaniel to follow? Jesus. Do you see a pattern? Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus is the one who invites and compels people to follow him, even though we might make introductions. And I want you to walk away with that today if you're wrestling with that tension of feeling somehow over-responsible for the salvation of people in your relational world. I want you to let that go today because not only is it unrealistic, it's unbiblical. But instead, I want you to grab hold of your role to be a person of influence, to be someone who is praying, who is sharing, who is someone loving deeply those in your relational world that they might see Jesus for themselves and respond to him. Our now what statement today, introduce the people in your relational world to Jesus and let him persuade them to follow. Let's pray. Father, I just want to say thank you for this passage today. I want to say thank you for these four introductions, these four individuals that all were impressed to want to follow you. They become your first disciples. And I just love the backstory, like we love backstories all the time in different environments. I love the backstory of what you did and how you communicated yourself, mainly through other people who had also been impressed to want to follow you. And God, would you do that in us? Would you release us from feeling the responsibility of results? And God, instead, would you focus us on our role that we have to be your ambassadors, 
to be people of influence in our relational worlds. Help us live it with joy in that tension, knowing that ultimately it's always up to you. Some plant, some water, but God makes it grow. And so we're grateful, God, for your work in people's lives. If you're here today and you have not yet ever responded to this Lamb of God, to this Jesus who is the stairway. And I want you to know, even before you leave today, you can. By A, admitting that you're a sinner who needs a savior. By B, believing that this Jesus that we've just introduced you to again today, this Jesus is the only savior available. And C is choose. Choose to say, Jesus, I put my hope, my confidence, my trust and what you've done, not what I can do to be religious or good, but what you've done for me. And I wanna live my life following after you. I pray you would not let another day go by before you make that decision. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for just the, the steadying, anchoring power of knowing that we are yours of knowing what you have accomplished for us in a world of turbulence and things that are moving all around us. Father, you're fixed. And we're so grateful for this great news of the gospel. Help us to be a people who wanna share it with others. We love you and we pray in Jesus' great name, amen.